This is episode 12. You know what that means. Yeah, our little podcast is about to be a teenager. Oh, no. It's going to be cranky. (laughs) All nasty acting. (laughs) Rolling its eyes. (laughs) That's all right. We're going to bear with it and we're going to raise this little baby podcast (laughs) and do the right thing in life. It's Valentine's week. Happy Valentine's Day, babe. Happy Valentine's. Hey, you want to make out? (laughs) Okay, we're going to turn the mics off for just one second here. Didn't take long. (laughs) (laughs) For the Facebook report. Yes. You posted on Facebook Mm -hmm. the picture of you with the Blue Angels. Yeah, with the pilot that that I went up with you. Yeah, so I've known that you did that, but I don't know the whole scoop. Oh, you want the scoop. I want the scoop. You want the whole story. (laughs) Oh, oh no. You don't have to play the music. Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, so this is a true story. I was doing the morning show. I was in Houston uh, on the air, and we played a commercial for the Blue Angels. And my dad took me to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, about 30 minutes north of Cincinnati, many times, to see the Blue Angels perform. Every little boy's dream, I uh, think. No, it really was. It was it was such a good time. I got to hang out with my pops, and it was just one of those things that we shared. So now, many years later, I'm on the radio in Houston. I hear a commercial for the Blue Angels appearing at Ellington Joint Air Force Base in Houston. So naively, I pick up the phone. I call the base, right? No, you didn't. I did. Hey, I'm Doc Kilgore. I'm on the morning show in Houston. And, you know, I used to grow. I told him the story. He starts laughing, not like he's amused, but he's laughing like the nerve of this guy. So he's, you know, blowing me off. And in the process of hanging up the phone, I hear in the background, no, 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 wait, I, I listened to him. It was the, it was the base commander. You're who, kidding. No, no, no. He was actually a big fan of the show. So short story, he invites me to go do a demonstration ride, a media ride with the Blue Angels. It takes about 45 minutes to get strapped into your seat because they're strapping you to a rocket when you're sit in this F-18, the handles for ejection are on either side. You pull them simultaneously to eject. It'll blow the can. I mean, it's all rigged with explosives. No, no, it's true. They'll, they'll, <laughs> it'll blow the canopy off, and then with a rocket, there's literally a rocket under that seat, and it will propel you out and over and away from that aircraft. This is my biggest nightmare with my claustrophobia, <laughs> being strapped in on top of explosives. Yeah, well, that's what it was. <laughs> so that's why it took 45 minutes to get strapped in. Eventually, we go up. We're traveling maybe six, eight feet off the ground. And then the last thing I remember hearing in my headset as I'm listening to the pilot communicate with air traffic control is military speed. I heard military speed. He pulled that stick back and we went vertical. Now imagine in your mind, just look up at the ceiling and look over behind you. That's how it was. That canopy there, I could look up and see the trees and the buildings and the cars and the clouds, everything getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That sounds horrifying. No, no. It was fun. No, it was a major blast and we went out over the Gulf of Mexico. We buzzed an oil tanker just to get that sensation of speed. So we're flying low and fast. Buzz an oil tanker. Uh, he does zero G, which is pulling that aircraft up. It's difficult to, to describe, but it, it, there is a degree of weightlessness. So a little bit of the debris that was on the floor, you know, some of the dirt from right. and, and, and dust and that kind of thing, that stuff was floating. Then we did about a five or six G turn, and that was the end of the flight. And we had Fox 26 News, uh, the news crew that followed and did a whole show about this ride that I did. And 
who knows where that is. So that's the story. But I wonder if we can get a copy of it. I'll tell you what we can do. We can get Texas Tootie to track it down Hey, y'all. It's Texas Tootie with another fun fact about Texas. Did you know the armadillo is the official state small mammal? You know, I've lived in Texas all my life. I never knew armadillos are great swimmers and can hold their breath for six minutes. That's your fun fact about Texas. Texas Tootie, proud mom of a Texas law enforcement officer. Back the blue. Today's topic on the NPSN is prescription medication. I am not a big fan, but there are times when it's necessary. I've had to take them myself. However, the question for your healthcare provider should always be, what do I need to do to heal my body so I can get off the medication? If the best they can give you is eat healthy and exercise, keep asking questions until you get real answers. If they are limited on time and can't help you, they may be a great provider, but you're in the sick care medical model, not a wellness model. In sick care, symptoms are managed. In wellness, root cause of the symptoms are treated. You have a lot more control over your health than you think. Make sure you are with the provider in, in the correct medical model that has the same goals for your health that you do. That's it for the NP is in. Catch you next week. On this week's Everyday People segment, we have as our guests, Dr. Sandy Matthews. Sandy has been a good friend for a long time. In fact, we were neighbors. Uh, she and her husband, Marvin, uh, are great friends, and I cannot begin to calculate how valuable her friendship uh, has been to me. We're privileged to have her here on Valentine's Week. We intend to have her as a frequent guest on the show, but for now, we'll do an introduction to Dr. Sandy. So didn't you tell me at one point that you were almost discouraged from uh, higher education? I was raised in a family that didn't value education. And the perfect example, why would you want to go to college just for an MRS degree? I mean, that's really how they thought. So I didn't. I did go to two years of college at UC and dropped out because my late husband traveled a lot and wanted me to go with him Mm -hmm. uh, internationally. And I got into retailing because I'm pretty good at that. I did it for several years and was fired from one of my favorite positions at Bon Teller. And it was a perfect, perfect gig. But I was hired by the New York people. And when the person that I was actually going to be reporting to met me, have you ever had an experience where you know as soon as you make eye contact, you're hated? So I knew from that day on, my days were numbered. I had started and opened a designer boutique and it was successful. So we moved out to Kenwood and had 2,500 square feet and lots of things happened. I had an armed robbery. You actually were in the robbery? I was. This was on Halloween. We had a fashion show that night scheduled at the precinct at the time. And at that time, it was a disco. These three guys come in with stocking caps and I'm alone in the store and got these nasty demands to get on the floor. You effing what? What were you thinking in the moment? Do you remember? I thought I was going to be killed. They had a gun pointed at my head and it took my manager and I two weeks to put my shop together. It took them 10 minutes with tarps to take all of these gorgeous suedes and leathers and dump them in to this tarp and carry them out. Just strip my store. Were they ever caught? As it turned out, fortunately, I had in my personal 
personal possession most of the clothes. And I let the models use my clothes on the runway. During the fashion show, the police came in and said that a maid in or housekeeper in Columbus had come across these suede. I had Calvin Klein suede made up and private labeled, and it had above the rest Cincinnati, Ohio. She called the Cincinnati police, which I thought was really smart. Oh, yeah, part. people don't get involved like that now, right? No. She asked the police, has there been a robbery in Cincinnati at a place called above the rest? And they said yes. So they caught them that night. What? And, and yeah, it happened that quick. And when the police asked me to describe the gun, I mean, I'm, I'm using my hands and I'm showing them like a foot long. When I actually saw the gun, it was this tiny little thing. But when it's pointed right at your face. Yeah, it takes up your entire world. It looks a lot bigger. Yeah. So this is traumatic. How do you begin to make the transition into your professional status now? After that, on Christmas Eve, I used to smoke at the time. My manager also smoked. So one of us, we believe didn't put the butt out all the way and it was smoldering. Don't don't tell me you had a fire. Yeah, we had a fire. <laughs> but most of it was smoke damage. And that's just was, as bad, right? I mean, that that stuff is hard course, to get out. Actually, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and then we decided we would reopen. And two weeks after that, my husband had his third heart attack. Goodness. So this and is all so within a month, maybe, right? Halloween, the 31st until middle of January. I decided that's when I stopped smoking. I decided all these things were out of control and... But the one thing I can control is to stop smoking, which I did. And my husband at the time said, enough of this retail stuff. I know you like it, but gotten out of hand. What would you really, really like to do? And I said, I've always wanted to be a psychologist. And he said, then go back to school. And I said, oh, but it's going to take so long. And he says, you've got two more years of your undergrad. I finished that. And then he said, you know, another two years and you could have your master's. I said, but it's going to take so long. And each time he would say, the time is going to go by anyway. Yeah. And you could have had 17 bachelor's degrees by now. So finished that. And he said, you know, I've always wanted to sleep with a doctor. <laughs> Come on. That's funny. I'm serious. <laughs> And he encouraged me to go back for my doctorate. And that's how I got there. And haven't looked back, loved every minute of it. You must be able to relate to people on a whole other level after having been robbed, after having to deal with the fire. You know, the, even the, the stress and strain of trying to quit smoking. My mom smoked for years and I know how tough that can be. And I actually treated a heroin addict who said that quitting heroin was tougher for him than quitting smoking. And he was still smoking. I've used every experience that I've had with clients. My love, my first love are working with couples and relationships. And I share a lot. And in the classic psychological training, you're not encouraged to share anything. You're supposed to be a blank slate and let them talk. And that was never my style. And I actually inherited clients from those kinds of therapists because they were looking for feedback. They could talk to themselves or to somebody that wasn't trained and get the same result. I'm happy to share personal information that I might think could help that particular client. How long have you been practicing? 27 years. How do people mostly end up in front of you? Well, it's reported that people will think about therapy six months before they pick up the phone. And when they pick up the phone, they've already started changing just by that one act. Yeah. So by the time you pick up your, the phone, at least you're willing. They're open. They're open. Yeah. Open. And it sometimes will 
take them another six months to actually do it. Make the appointment and sit before you. Depending on how open they are, it can move along very quickly or if they're resistant, it takes longer. Classic is the wife that drags her husband in and wants me to fix him. When you start questioning and you turn the lens toward her and ask how she's contributing, there's a lot of pushback. I came for him. I want him to change. And that happens a lot. Have you ever had it happen where a couple walked in, they are just on their last breath of relationship and brought them back from the dead? Not unusual either. The couple that come in and she's discovered or he's discovered the other is having an affair and they're ready to bolt. They're done. And when I explained to them that that was a symptom of things that were already happening that were negative in the relationship and that this affair could be exactly the greatest gift to both because it's causing them to actually deal with those issues. And I've, I've got several examples of that where I still hear from them. They're doing well and appreciating each other and are so glad they hung in there. So how do you do that? I mean, where do you begin as a professional to get over the hurt and into the healing? How does that happen? A whole lot of talking. And they haven't talked. Most of them that have had that happen have stopped communicating. When when communication shuts down, so do they. The other, I always tell my clients that they have every right to ask. This usually happens in the pre-screening and the, I offer a pre-30 minute consultation. Yeah. And I tell them one of my greatest gifts is that I'm a good picker. They are within their right when they're interviewing therapists to ask if they're going for couples counseling, are you in a good marriage? That's a legitimate question. Barbara DeAngelis and uh, John Gray, who did Venus and Mars, and she does all these relationship book. The two of them each have been divorced many times. So they're experts at divorce, (laughs) but why anyone would go to them for advice on how to have a good marriage makes no sense. Speaking of which, you and Marvin seem to have it all figured out and you guys met online, right? My daughter put me on match. So your daughter put you on match and and you meet Marvin. How did you know that Marvin was your guy? Everybody has this technique. It's your gut. Your gut will never fail you. I tell my own client. You don't have to listen to me. Listen to your gut because it will never fail you. And when you get this twinge like, hmm, doesn't really sit right. Uh, That doesn't square with what you said earlier. Listen to it. I did a rotation to a battered women's shelter in Cincinnati. And that was one of the questions that I would have for them. When was the first time you had this gut feeling or this twinge that things are not quite right? And oh my God, all of them had examples that that happened pretty quickly on. And one told me that she met this man. He invited her to his baseball game. They lost. He broke his bat. And this is their first date. He takes her home to meet mom on the first date. She had a twinge then. She had a twinge when he broke his bat. And he, I'm sorry. Are you saying broke his back? His bat. Baseball bat. Okay. Because he was so angry. And then took him her home to meet mom. And she thought that was odd. And he's screaming at his mom. And then my second question is, okay, and what was it within you that said, okay, it's all right to proceed anyway. And I would get some of the strangest answers. We're living in such a permissive, promiscuous society now. Do you feel that people get together and they're 
Even with hookup, there is a gut thing that happens. He wants to just hang out or hook up, wants to introduce you to everybody and just met you. There are rare times when that can be okay. But if your gut's telling you this doesn't feel right, that's the difference between people that end up with better relationships than those who don't, is people with better relationships listen to that. I mean, here's an example, and this doesn't have anything to do with relationships, but I had a client once who said she was in an underground garage downtown and it was dark, starts to get on the elevator and this creepy guy is in there, but she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. So she gets on anyway. Now, fortunately for her, she wasn't killed, but she could have been. You listen to that. There's a book called The Gift of Fear. I bet it's 15 years old. Uh, You can Google the author, but he talks about exactly that, the ability to recognize those those cues as a gift. And the book is uh, The Gift of Fear. Very interesting reading. I think it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Right. That's exactly right. That guy, I think, was on Oprah, too. On Oprah. Okay. How many sessions does it usually take to to really begin to, to peel some layers of the onion back and get somewhere with folks? Well, depending on how willing they are to actually do assignments, I give everybody an assignment every time. Can you, can you give me an example of what kind of assignment people typically work on? They will start that evening sitting down, putting the kids to bed and taking time to themselves, 30 minutes or an hour. And I, I do this every night of my own life. Been doing this forever is to set aside that time for themselves, just the two of them, and share with each other five good things that happened to them that day. Five good things that happened that day. To them, mm-hmm. each of them. And then five good things they appreciate about each other because they're very good at telling you all the things that are wrong. Bad, with that you. are bad, yeah. But it totally reverses the trend. And it also starts creating a positive foundation for them so that if they do fight, and they will, that they know that it's not out of hostility or spite or meanness because they just heard what this person thought of them the night before. And they can start to reunite, learning how to get back in without feeling like they're giving up a part of themselves by saying, you know what, you're right. And that's that's one of the greatest argument stoppers ever. You know what, you're right. Or you could be right. How do you argue with your right? And sometimes they'll try. And the other one says, did you hear me? (laughs) Especially when they're arguing because the other one isn't listening at all because they're thinking of what they're going to say in retaliation next time. When you have couples in your office, if they begin to bicker, do you let them go? Sometimes because they have a referee sitting there and the kiss of death for a couple's therapist is if one perceives that you're siding with the other. Oh boy, yeah. You have to balance that out. That if I have something that I'm observing about one of their behaviors, I have to find something that I can report back in the session with the other one too. So there's balance. And usually that's pretty easy to do. If somebody's struggling in their relationship, is there something from your professional perspective that they can begin to do immediately to to try to turn that ship? What I just told you, and it's the least expensive and easiest thing that I teach. And that's five good things. And they can start that immediately. And what were they? They were the five things you, I'm sorry, you like about? Five good things about your day that you're going to share with each other so that each of you are plugged in to what the other one experienced that day. And it becomes a sort of a launch pad for a continuation of the relationship because next day I can ask, so how did that sale go? Did did it go through or tell me how that went? It, it provides more conversation for them where they can check in with each other to see how their day went. And honestly, it is life altering. It is relationship altering. Wow. Have you had 
couples in front of you where in your professional opinion at the end of the day you say you know what guys we've I've heard it all it's time for you to to go your own way is there is there a moment for that or do you always seek a resolution in favor of the couple staying together I listen to what they want oh often what they say they want is not what they want I can't stand her I can't stand that she does this I, I hate him then why are you here there's something within you that wants to fix this and I'll tell you something else I used to be um, Switzerland when it came to couples, married couples particularly, that wanted a divorce and wanted me to help them come, up, come through with a, a peaceful divorce. By Switzerland, was, you mean you're, you're neutral in the, in the, in the discussion? Neutral. I'm neutral. I have changed my mind, though, about that over the years. Oh, tell us about that. When there are kids involved, I've seen the kids. I've been doing this long enough that I then see the kids and how divorce has impacted them. And if there is any way, and I tell them this, there's any way and it doesn't include abuse or addictions or severe mental disorders. If there's any way that they can work it out, I encourage them to do so. So that old that old thing about staying together for the kids, that's a thing. Absolutely. Because it really, no matter how well balanced everybody is, and I had a, a dentist and his wife that decided um, they would wait until the kids went off to college. The kids were devastated because they then thought it was their fault. If they had stayed home, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, yeah. Okay. But the parents have been planning it for years. Is there a simple way to begin to address stress in our lives? I know this sounds simplistic, but the best anecdote I've found for anxiety and stress and depression is gratitude. That's even in the Bible. I like it. Exactly. You can't be stressed when you're looking around you for things. And sometimes that can be waking up in the morning because if you have people that are in hospice, waking up is a big deal. I have to see another day. Wow. I lived through another night. That, that helps you prioritize, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly puts things in perspective. How do you start the process if somebody wants to work with you? I still do a 30-minute uh, complimentary session with them so that I can find out if, if it's going to be a good fit and if it's a good fit for them because they, they're interviewing me too. But it also helps me screen out. For instance, I no longer take domestic violence cases because I, I have a home-based practice. I no longer see addictions and sub-abuse or severe mental disorders because I don't have security here. Where can we find you on the web? DrSandysCoaching.com. All my contact information is on there. My cell phone, my email, and website. The Doc and Carolyn Podcast is brought to you by LiquidManaIVHydration.com. Get that edge with a vitamin pack or an immunity pack. Available in the Woodlands, Conroe, New Waverly, Huntsville, and coming soon to Lufkin. The Doc and Carolyn Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and the exclusive property of DNC Media. LLC.